You know, this, uh, this community has been growing and seeing incredible things take place in it. And uh, I have this really unique um, opportunity, being the pastor here, to see the many, many different, different parts uh, and the many different perspectives. And, um, and it's been an, a really amazing to experience all of these things and to see the richness that God provides in community. And uh, why do we choose to celebrate uh, Black History Month? On because we've done it each year. I've done it. Uh, I've been here. We've done it. So, so I've been here almost three years. Palm Sunday will be three years that I've been the pastor here at the Mountain. Yeah. And honestly, it's been nothing short of spectacular and amazing. Uh, it's not always easy, but it's always rewarding to serve Jesus and to serve people. Uh, to love Jesus and to love people. And the consistency, I believe, of this place and this platform and this church is that while many things have gone on around us, we've maintained our focus on Jesus. Right. 2020 was a chaos year for the world. But when other pastors and leaders and preachers and teachers ask me about what's going on at the mountain, it's as if God created this amazing grace bubble for his nature to thrive in this community. And the chaos that I saw in the world, I didn't see penetrate this culture or community. Do you guys see the same thing? And, and it's not naive and it's not ignorant. It just knows and follows a greater influence than the influence over the world. So we ascribe and subscribe to the nature of Jesus, to the spirit of Jesus, and it leads and it dictates and it sets the tone for everything. So we can walk out of a chaotic world into a space that champions Jesus and experience the nature of Jesus, which never lacks peace. It can be asleep in a storm. You can wake up and go, oh, you guys want me to come? Okay, cool, peace, be still. And I see these aspects, I see these dynamics in this community, and I cherish the many different parts and perspectives uh, that each of us carry of Jesus. Uh, and I had a lot of different conversations uh, about some of the extraneous topics or some of the topics of social injustice and race uh, that are going on in our world. And whenever I, I, I had the conversations, it was incredible and amazing and I always ask the one simple question, which is me as a pastor and as a leader in this community, what is my role uh, in this space? And so I've always been and I will continue to be committed to this platform and this space being about the amplification of Jesus. So no matter what we address and no matter what we talk about, it'll always be to accomplish a greater insight to Jesus a greater expression of Jesus, and a greater transformation of this community into Jesus' image and nature. You guys down for that? Sweet, awesome. And so there are many different parts and perspectives to celebrate because the beauty, I have a psych degree, so I have a little bit of an understanding uh, of people. And this is actually why I got a psych degree. I was like, what should I get it in? I like business. I honestly like so many different things. Architecture, law, I think I might be a lawyer one day. I'm not sure, maybe I'll just surf, I don't know, who knows. But there's, there's all these different parts and perspectives, and if you study human experience uh, and the human mind, that you'll see that perspective is incredibly diverse amongst all of us. And none of us have exactly the same perspective, and we all carry these different perspectives. 
And the beautiful approach with Jesus is it allows us to hear and to grow from each other's experience and perspective. And that's beautiful. And it doesn't require that I go through the same exact thing that you went through to see Jesus the way you did. I could actually hear your witness and you could be an ambassador of that nature of Jesus and I can experience it and I could receive it as if I went through it because that's impartation. And that's the beauty of our relationship with one another is that if we carry the heart of God in relationship, each perspective of Jesus can enrich our faith journey and can enrich our walk with Jesus. So I want to read a scripture and I want to emphasize some different parts and perspective of the body of Christ. Uh, and I highlighted two uh, historical figures today of Frederick Douglass and William Seymour that I'll be reading some quotes from. Uh, because, and Frederick Douglass is one of my favorite historical figures, period. Uh, the Radical and the Republican is one of my favorite historical books. Uh, and so we'll be uh, reading some of those quotes to see and to catch Jesus through the lens of some of these historical figures. And when we see the foundation for all of this today, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 21. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but as a note for yourself, you can read and study on the fullness of this thing. And it says, for as the body is one and has many members... But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, I'll say it again, one Spirit, capital S, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So we're going to stop right there, and we're going to understand that all of our history, each one of us individually, gets baptized into this one doorway of the baptism of Jesus in our life, and we enter into a oneness space that isn't all the same, but is always following the same thing. So while there is a diversity and there is a collection of parts, there is one leader and one spirit that sets the tone for all of the parts. And as it goes on in Corinthians to talk about, those parts are described as body parts. So there's one body, but there are different body parts. And this is a very common foundational scripture and understanding of unity in the church. That, you know, unity does not eliminate diversity. It just gives context to how the diversity ought to relate to one another. So the beauty for me, and I spent most of my life on teams, and I was a point guard, so I was supposed to understand all of the parts of a team. And when you got a team, and when you're a, you, you, they called the, the point guard the floor general or the coach on the floor, and when I'm on the floor, I'm supposed to understand the way the parts all work together to be one team, towards one objective, towards one calling, towards one initiative. And when you understand all of the different parts, you can not be intimidated and or threatened by the other's part, but you can celebrate the part understanding that it contributes to a common goal. So when I had a guy on my team that was an incredible scorer, a better scorer than I was, I could not be threatened by it and let him score 50 and I'll just get 25 assists. Or when I had somebody that was huge and just giant I was like, yeah, man, go get all the rebounds. I love that. I don't have to get elbowed in the face. 
I don't have to get my jersey pulled. I don't have to get a couple technicals, you know, fighting with the big guys in there. I remember in one regional championship game, a guy by the name of Nate, he, uh, we were, <laughs> we were on the, we, he was, my teammate was shooting a free throw and I was just there ready to go in and get the rebound. And he gave me the nastiest up elbow of my life. He hit me with an up. Instead of going in to get the rebound, he just took that moment to boom. And I was like seeing stars. My lip was hanging on this. And my coach was like, hey, man, you need to come out. I'm like, no, nah, man, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> and so they made me go out because, you know, blood and, you know, it's not good. And, <laughs> and so we, we, just like an old athlete thing, I stuck guards up my mouth. And I'm like, I'm good to go. <laughs> and then I played the rest of the game. But, you know, there's these, there's these differences that we express and we see and we experience. And the insecure person doesn't know how to experience strength in their weaknesses and celebrate it. So I, as a, I have a certain amount of strengths. I have a certain amount of weaknesses. This is definitely true. My wife can tell you about them. If not my kids, if not my closest friends, uh, there's support groups that my friends have put together when they experience me and, uh, and I have strengths and I have weaknesses. This is, this is true. And so when I experience somebody that has a strength in one of my weaknesses, fear will say that their strength in my weakness means that I can't have them around me. I can't, I can't let them be in my space. I got to eliminate them because that will illuminate that I can't do that well. And they can and this is absolutely against the nature of Jesus, which celebrates the people in their fullness. And it understands that we each have parts and perspectives that we carry that are meant to enrich everyone around us. So my perspective, whatever part I am, say I'm, I'm the lips that move, right? Or say maybe I'm the heart that beats. Whatever part I carry in this thing, if it truly has the perspective of Jesus, can say to the hand, hand, you've got a significant part. And although you can grasp things and grab things and my mouth cannot, you have an amazing part that I am to celebrate. And this is hard because we fear and we have insecurity and we have these intimidations with people. But when Jesus meets us in our life, in our place, he eliminates these places of intimidation amongst one another and insecurity amongst one another. In your life, do you find it hard to celebrate people's strengths and celebrate people's successes? Do you find it difficult? Do you find it challenging? Do you, when you see somebody succeed in something you're trying to succeed in, do you go, yeah, or do you go, come on? Come on, where's my shine? Where's my, if I had their options, if I had their, their opportunities, I'd crush it too. You know, does jealousy and greed and envy, do these things circulate in you when you see somebody else thrive? Or do you and can you celebrate the breakthrough and the successes of people around you, especially in the ways that you have not seen them yet? And sometimes we fake it, right? We're like, oh, good for you. That's so awesome. I celebrate your success. That's awesome. <laughs> But it's important that we don't just have lip service. It's important that our mouths don't just move in a way that our hearts don't actually reflect. 
And this, this consistency, this kind of dynamic exists in the word, and, and it's something that we should identify. It's something that we should see. In, in Matthew 15, 7 through 14, Jesus speaks about it. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These dynamics that exist, there's so many different perspectives, there's so many different histories that we carry, and they're not just racial differences, they're, they're economic differences, they're city differences. Have you met somebody from the East Coast? <laughs> I, my, one of my favorite cities in America is Boston, and I feel like I was supposed to be born in Boston, you know? I'm so serious. I love Boston. I loved all the aspects of it. It was so awesome. I loved how, like, uh, I just, we, I went to a Boston's Red Sox game, and they got completely shut out by the Detroit Tigers in this game. Uh, and it was a baseball game. It was at Fenway Park. It was awesome. My wife and I went. This was like, oh, my guess this was before Brixton. Well, this is actually when Brixton was made. But we almost named him Boston, but then that would be weird to explain to him that, you know, that's where you were conceived, buddy. That's why we named you that. <laughs> this is super relevant to my preaching, I promise. <laughs> this is on camera and going to be online. Woo! <laughs> if anybody's religious, they're not happy. <laughs> so we're there, and, the, and these Boston guys, I mean, this guy was, it was, it was actually Boston got whooped. There was a, it was a full pitching expression bullpen shut out, no hitter. So there was this one Detroit Tigers fan that was cracking me up because he was talking and talking and talking every inning and every inning and no hits and no scores and no hits. And finally, by like the seventh or eighth inning, just like all of these Boston guys just started to like challenge him and then like want to fight him and stuff. And the funniest part about it is that the Boston security walks down there and they get him out of there. <laughs> he did like nothing wrong, but pff, this is Boston security. They're not going to take the side of Detroit Tiger fan. It's like, hey, buddy, you got to get out of here, man. And then he was out. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know why I told you that story, except that I love that. <laughs> We've got so many different parts and perspectives and histories, so many different cities we're from, so many different races that we represent, so many different combinations of ethnicities and socioeconomic expressions. We have so many different places of trauma and pain that exist in our life, different triggers, different hopes, different victories, different joys, and all of it lends to an ability for us to see Jesus differently. Like, think about it like this. In the Bible, there was a bunch of different characters that got an opportunity to see Jesus in a unique way that somebody else didn't get a chance to see. Like, just even think amongst the disciples. In Matthew 16, 13 through 17, Jesus came into the region. He said, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Who, who do they say that I am? He asked his disciples this, and Peter, we know the story, he nailed it, he got it right. He's like, you are, you are the son of the living God. He got it right, but there was a lot of people that said that he was Elijah, or that he was Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or that he was John the Baptist. Like a lot of people, when they experience Jesus, they have a different insight to who he is, and sometimes they don't actually see him clearly. So there are many different experiences, and, and the reality is, is that we get a richer experience when we can see what Nicodemus thought and saw in Jesus, 
Or we get a richer experience when we can see what the adulterous woman that was thrown before Jesus, what her perspective of Jesus was. Or the man that was filled with legion, what his perspective of Jesus was. The reality is, is that we have people around us now that have been in and or experienced oppression and depression. And when they see Jesus and they get breakthrough, I get to hear their witness of Jesus and it illuminates and gives a revelation of who Jesus is that I did not have before they shared with me. Because the Jesus that meets somebody in a place of depression isn't a Jesus I met, but it's a Jesus I want to hear about and learn about. The Jesus that's met somebody in a place of losing all that they have in finances and money. Maybe at the 2007 recession that lost everything and they got to experience and encounter Jesus. I want to hear about that Jesus because that's not a Jesus I've experienced personally, but I know it's a part of Jesus that provides in a place of loss, that comforts in a place of absolute destruction. I want to experience that Jesus. I want to witness that Jesus. And I, might, I can't live every single type of life. I can't undo the fact that I was a pastor's kid. I came from a good home. I had a good father and I had a good mother. I can't undo that and go back and live a home that didn't have a father or that didn't have a mother or that didn't have any parents or that had abusive ones. I can't live that, but I can hear the witness of somebody that says, I lived that and this is what I saw in Jesus through that. See, I can't go back and I can't live a life that experienced racism. I didn't experience that life, but I can hear somebody say, I experienced it and this is what I saw in Jesus through those things. I can't experience some of the things that people have lost. I can't experience drug addiction and what it, what it means or what somebody encounters in Jesus through drug addiction. I can't experience that. But I can hear them say, this is what Jesus did in my life. This is who he is, and I've experienced that Jesus. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he's not the same to me as he is to you. Because our perspectives are different. So your unique perspective, my unique perspective, gives me a greater holistic perspective of Jesus. The tragedy comes when we're not very good at listening to the perspectives and parts and witnesses somebody else has. And this isn't to say what everyone says about Jesus is true. Some thought he was John the Baptist. They weren't right. Some were like, hey, I met Jesus. He's Jeremiah. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> so not everyone, not everyone who's talking or using their voice is speaking the truth of Jesus. But I can hear everyone's perspective. I can hear everyone's expression in their voice and I can bring it before Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, what do you think? What's truth? What's true to you? What's true to their feelings and what's actual eternal truth? Because those things are different, right? Like sometimes my wife or me in a relationship, in a conflict together, sometimes we, we share how our feeling, what we felt. You know, like when you did that, it made me feel this way or I felt this way as a result of that. And so that's my truth, but that's not necessarily eternal Jesus truth, right? It's true to me. It's a true experience. I had its true emotions, but the truth of Jesus isn't necessarily the truth of my emotions. So Jesus is really good at meeting us in both of those places. Jesus illustrates and provokes care. Jesus illustrates and provokes love. I, uh, the, the end of the first Corinthians that I, I really like, it says, 
But uh, it, it says, verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And if you go on to read this, it says something really beautiful. In verse 25 it says, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I see this verse recognizing our individual humanity, but also calling us to a perspective that's holistic. That's calling us to a perspective of each person's victory and honor is also one that I get to share in because I'm part of the same body as you. And it's an interesting thing we take, right, where we experience these, these realities in community, and sometimes we've grown really good at honoring the really fancy body parts, or the ones that, like, you know, the mouth moves, and so it draws a lot of attention, or the head's always up there, you know, and so everyone looks at it. And sometimes the foot is, like, the one that we just don't want to be a part of, or we don't want to hear from because it stinks, and it looks like a hobbit, you know, <laughs> which is what people witness my feet, and they say... It's, it's beautiful, guys. <laughs> One day I got to wear flip-flops to preach so you know what I'm talking about, you know? It's actually kind of a dream of mine to come in board shorts and flip-flops. Can I do this? I, I, when I was a youth pastor, I would always wear, like, flip-flops and board shorts in the summer, and it was so much fun. Um, then I became, like, an adult pastor, and, like, I had to dress in corduroy shirts and <laughs> zipper pants and boots. <clears throat> Where do you go after that, huh? <clears throat> the, the interesting thing to me is that God calls us to care fully for all parts. When you're a hand, it's easy for you to care for other hands really well. You're like, man, I know what it's like to like be here and to have kind of like five things, right? I know the feeling, man. Us hands got to stick together. This biased, subjective care is not biblical or the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus moves us to love all parts equally and objectively. So that when you are with other pastors and teachers and you're a pastor or a teacher, that's not for you to go, hey man, I'm really good at loving these folks because they're just like me. When you can only love and care for the things that are just like you, this is partial love. There is no partiality in Jesus. There is no subjectivity in Jesus. He loves all perfectly always. He loves all perfectly always. So that means that he loves the really super religious guy. You know, he loves the hippy dippy sloppy grace person. He loves the person that shows up to the Bible study and is so many different ways wrong all of the time. He loves the legalistic Christian that's just like super annoying to be around because they always tell you everything wrong with you. And they got a plank. 
And they're like, your speck is really annoying me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You guys tracking with me? So when we experience Jesus, we experience this perspective of Jesus that is perfectly true. It's perfectly true. There is a consistency that I love that Frederick Douglass pointed out. He said, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. Not everyone likes to be confronted or likes to confront. And I'm talking about the loving Father Heaven confrontation. Not everyone likes it. I actually like it. Because when I hear and I see something like this, now, Frederick Douglass was speaking to a time where slavery was still a thing, and that pastors and preachers weren't actually speaking against it and or also owned slaves themselves. So he was speaking to this great schism and divide between true Christianity and the Christianity that he saw in America at the time. Like, oh, wow. And I thought about it. I thought, boy, I wonder if the same thing could be said now. Not in the same exact way. But I wonder if we're not capable of being honest with ourselves as a Christian expression to go, are we Christ Christians or American Christians? And I love America. I love America. I'm, I'm Canadian and American. I love America. I was born in Sacramento, California. I love America. But American Christianity is not the same thing as Christ Christianity. There are social trends and strengths of this country that lend to a certain particular part of Christ to be expressed well. And it changes based on region. It changes based on city. So there's some things we do really, really well. And there's some things we really, really get stuck up on. And there's some things that we get really, really bound on. So when we're honest and we're capable of hearing these things, what we allow ourselves to do is see the type of Christian we are versus the type of Christian that God is trying to transform and create in us. This is the distinct difference. This is the, this is the bridge that we must cross. This is the fork in the road that if we're really going to be Christians, it means allowing Jesus in the fullness of his holiness to confront our impurity. This means that we cannot act Christian and not be Christians in heart. This means that we can't worship Jesus in a 10 out of 10 way and then live in a 1 out of 10 way. This means that everything that Jesus is must actually confront the fullness of who we are and call us to be transformed into that image. See, there is this really great big challenge that Jesus does in the Word and that the Word does for us to challenges, uh, challenges us of our hypocrisy, and their inconsistencies. What does it profit? And this is in James 2.14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? See, faith without works is dead. When we say God is good and we don't actually see the naked person and seek to clothe them, then what we do is we provide a disconnect from what we're saying and what God's actually doing. 
So someone doesn't witness the fullness of God, they witness a partiality of who God is. They witness the words witnessed on stage, but not the actual deeds of God. See, the problem with having lip service and not having any of the actual works of faith is that people get to see half of God. And they start to think because we don't actually express it that it's not real. And atheism perpetuates further and further. And antichrist dynamic perpetuates further and further because we're supposed to carry in true form the nature of Jesus, not just a description of Jesus that is not actually in us. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that so much. It was such a perfect moment. <laughs> the actual nature of Jesus. This isn't about each one of us becoming police and regulators for each other's morality. This is about us actually spending time with actual Jesus who confronts these things in our life. Like Jesus confronts these things and, and sometimes we don't really know how to picture a Jesus that confronts us because we've only experienced confrontation in the worst way ever. How many of you, how many of you guys have experienced confrontation where it was like just really hurtful, judgmental, it wasn't for your benefit, it was just to tell you how dumb you are? Right? So you know how dumb you are and just list the ways. I've, I've kept track for the last five years and you're really stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? This isn't Jesus' confrontation. This isn't Heavenly Father's way of confronting. Jesus confronts because he loves us and wants us to be free and healed. And also, Jesus doesn't want us to live in ignorant or naive deception. It's such the role of Jesus in our life to bring truth where deception is reigning that we must embrace these dynamics, and Frederick Douglass expresses it well. There is a reason why we experience these things. The power of God in our life is supposed to advance a true narrative of Jesus, not just good feelings. William Seymour said it, I think, really well. He said the Pentecostal power, and William Seymour was one of the leaders of the Sousa Street Revival, awesome, holiness preacher, amazing. He said the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply counterfeit. The power of God exists to prove the nature of Jesus. When we experience what we experience in worship, it's to actually illustrate in the very reality of our soul and our spirit the actual nature of Jesus documented in his word. So when Mikey begins to sing, it is well with my soul, what is, what is it actually doing? For sure you're like, oh, I got all the feels right now. <laughs> and oh, this is a great vibe, I love this. No, what's actually happening is Mikey is illustrating that in your places of lack, declare that your soul is well. This is biblical, it's in Psalms, it is well with my soul. This isn't some weird, naive, ignorant shot in the dark. It's actually saying my soul isn't well right now, but because I'm shifting my eyes and I'm recognizing the power of Jesus, it is actually making my soul well. It is a fabric shifting landscape introducing reality that changes everything inside of you. 
Sometimes when we say, like, it's changing everything, everyone's looking at the storm and going, man, I really don't see it. It hasn't changed my storm yet. I don't see it being well with my soul. No, what it's trying to teach you is that the storm should have nothing to do with the state of your soul. So your storm can be there. Look, we walk out of the storm every single week into this space. And people ask me all the time, what do you think about this political thing or this racial thing and this, that, and the other? I go, oh, you know, well, tell me what you think. I want to listen to you on here. But, but the reality of it is, is that I believe we do a great injustice in this place if we don't lift up the name of Jesus as our priority. And I, I'm not doing it. We're not doing it to, like some kind of scapegoat. Like we don't know what to say about hard topics. No, it's the priority of the biblical narrative. Lift up the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. Praise and celebrate Jesus and praise and celebrate the Jesus you find in others like Frederick Douglass or William Seymour. Illustrate those things. Put them up there because it's like Paul it's saying to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. So what are we doing right now? We're following Frederick Douglass as he followed Christ to understand the consistency of the truth of Jesus in our life. We're following William Seymour to say this power of God exists in our life so that we may actually become the nature of Jesus in love. This is the reality. I heard William J. Seymour's final words where I love my Jesus so. And I loved it, man. It almost made me cry when I heard that and I saw that because it was such a beautiful expression of what actually matters in this world. What actually matters in this world is our hearts triumphing in a love for Jesus and a love for people, all people. Full hearts, fully adoring Jesus, leaving behind every other thing and experiencing this baptism of Jesus that creates a unity amongst us in community that can celebrate the diversity of our perspectives and our parts. I can say to one another, I, I see what you see in Jesus and I love that. And I receive that in my life, I experience that in my life. You've enriched and you've provoked my experience with Jesus to go deeper, to go wider, to go greater. For somebody that stands for purity, allow it to actually impact your life. Create motivations in yourself to pursue the Jesus you see in others rather than create defenses in yourself to justify why you can't be or experience those things. Some of the greatest things I've experienced about Jesus I found in others' witness of Jesus. If I didn't have and or take the opportunity to humble myself and listen, to be moved with compassion and empathy, to experience what somebody else experienced with their words, I would not have gotten to see that part of Jesus. I'll tell you what, I love my Jesus, so I want to see all of Jesus. I want to see what Jesus has to offer me directly. I want to see what Jesus hidden, has hidden in others around me for me. I think of it that way sometimes. I think of it that way. You know, I, I've experienced so many different things in community, and, and, and I've seen Jesus show up in some of the coolest ways at funerals, at weddings, at, at hard meetings that were confronting sin or talking about it. And you see a part of Jesus that's really amazing. And I honestly believe this is that you, you really don't get to experience the fullness of Jesus if you don't allow him to go into places where you believe you've been loved with condition. Unconditional Jesus is truly experienced when you get loved in your places of fear where you anticipated rejection. And he loves you anyways and he's present anyways. 
It's hard to experience the peace that Jesus talked about or that Jesus created or that Jesus had on the boat if you don't get to a place of fearing for your life. See, that peace is reserved for those places because we as humans have a perspective and an exposure based on our experiences in our life. And whenever life takes us into super challenging situations or really, really bad spots, we get to experience a really beautiful Jesus. Wherever sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. I could bring up 50 scriptures that illustrate that whatever the ugliness and the pain of this world, the beauty and the freedom of Jesus is that much greater. It's the anchor of our souls. It's the hope that we live with. It's the things that we actually create as a connection point to Jesus that no matter what I've experienced, how deep the pain's been, Jesus is deeper. No matter how large or big the mountain is, Jesus is capable of moving it. I believe it's important today that our takeaways be this, is what's your part in the body? Like, have you, have you identified it? Have you identified and have you embraced what Jesus has given you as a witness and a perspective in your life? And have you been willing to share that and experience that with others, be an ambassador to those things? Have you been willing to listen to others' parts? In what way are you caring for the parts? This, this members caring for one another, it's so the heart of God that we carry a care not a subjective one, but an objective one for all parts. The pastor, the preacher, the, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, the apostle, the prophet. Doing well to love one another in the fullness, to care for one another. This is the call of God in our life. This is how we accomplish and we express a full body with different parts.